So estate planning, uh, the plan's only as good as the, uh, the customer alignment that it has to it. And clearly in estate planning and doing business with military families, there's different considerations, partially because there's so many different types of military families to deal with. Really lucky I came across a, an attorney who uh, as a good partners practice works with military families, both veterans and uh, current service members. He himself, you know, the terminology is not, was a Marine, because once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. So he is a Marine, just not carrying around a gun and not in his camouflages, but uh, currently an attorney in San Diego and the Inland Empire. Paul Hilton, welcome to our call today. Thanks, Bill, good to be here, appreciate it. And I know I met you through one of my good friends who was Navy servicing Marines in the Chaplain Corps. So thank you for your service. So I know in, we mentioned previously when we've talked about the special um, considerations when dealing with military families. And then obviously there's veterans and then there's you know current service members. Can you kind of hit some of the high points? What are some of the, some of the particular concerns you have when you do an estate plan for current service members versus say a, a, a standard customer? Well, for current service members, um, one is convincing them that they need to do an estate plan. And a lot of times, um, if, 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 a, if a service member hasn't really built an estate yet, um, he's, they may still be fairly young, not have a family and stuff like that. And he hasn't bought property, doesn't have equity, may not have a, uh, a brokerage account and instead has he has a uh, thrift savings plan or something like that, and um, and is uh, potentially a military retirement. Those are all those are all things that can be that an estate planner needs to think about and, and advise on. They they may not need a trust, but they certainly do need a will. They certainly do need a power uh, a durable power of attorney in case they were disabled, and they need counseling on. How do they want those assets that will pass without probate? Uh, how how do they want them to pass? How, how do they set those beneficiary designation forms in such a way that they do go where they want when they want? Now, if they if they're a service member and anybody in their family is disabled or has some uh, special need that they can't that they shouldn't be distributing assets uh, outright. Um, through a beneficiary designation form, then you got to start looking at things like uh, putting it in and, and conduiting it. Uh, that's kind of a word, a word of art, but anyway, conduiting through it through a trust where it has different uh, uh, specified instructions. Of course, then when that mil military family retires, or 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 they just um, start uh, buying property, a lot of military members. As they go about their du different duty station, I know a lot of Marines that did this, especially Marine officers, they'd buy houses at these different duty stations and then rent them out the next time they move. So now they have all these houses in different states. Uh, and those, um, if those are titled in their name or the service member's name, the service member and his spouse's name, come into all sorts of considerations about probate in multiple states, if they were to pass away, uh, uh, probate, you know, ancillary probate proceedings, main probate proceedings. And then of course, uh, different, some states have community property laws and some states are common law. So it can get really complicated 
And at that point, a, a military member um, needs that kind of detailed and thoughtful planning. Um, and then, you know, of course, in the veteran uh, who, uh, who is now out and may be disabled and there's maybe veterans benefits and, and uh, retirement pensions, you have to consider all those things. That's, you ask for the highlights and that's really, those are really the big muscle movements there's other stuff in there, but there's a lot to really think about with, with a with a veteran and a military member. Yeah, it's very it's varied. I think that there's a wide disparity from the first time home buyer, young marine, you know, uh, starting his family, <clears throat> versus the the officer who's been in 20 years or more, maybe two, and maybe a spouse also military, maybe not, relocating uh, kids, rental properties, more more established finances. And I think one of the unique things you brought up is multiple jurisdictions, right? We, I have a friend who's getting divorced in California. They they have assets that were in maybe joint, maybe not joint in Alabama. So you know what laws prevail? You know you have you have probate law in a state, you have divorce law in another state. Uh, you know how were those estate assets you know uh, obtained? Um, and different jurisdictions have different rules. So you practice as a practical matter. You only practice law in California. Well, I'm yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm licensed in California, and so I can produ I produce estate plans under the laws of California and uh, can can deliver those those it, throughout the state. Um, I I actually have done those uh, via Zoom through via a virtual type of thing for people who in other states who wanted an estate plan. That was crafted under the uh, under the laws of the state of California. Um, I imagine you must, from time to time, have to network or have questions or administering the states, get in contact with attorneys in different states. So I would think just the nature of career service members is just so different than than non service member uh, Americans. True? Is that something you get involved with, or? Yeah, you know, not as much as you might think. There are certain things that you do have to um, do. For instance, if you know, one of the big things, if somebody really has a, a sizable estate and they have a potential for, they need liability protection, then you're into looking at asset protection trusts and domestic asset protection trusts, and then you're then as an attorney, you're going to have to work with, for instance, I can't build a Nevada trust. I can build it, but ultimately to execute it takes a, a coordination with a Nevada attorney. But those are very important. Those some can really help um, help uh, a serviceman, help anybody with asset protection if in case they're likely to get uh, sued, um, you know, if slips and falls, wrongful deaths, any of those types of things. If you want to protect your estate, those uh, those those domestic asset asset protection trusts are incredibly important. Uh, just some real quick housekeeping. This is Probate Weekly. We do this every Thursday, four p.m. Pacific time. We live stream it on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and record it as well. I'm Bill Gross. I'm a real estate broker and uh, national team uh, of probate experts out of Los Angeles, California. Um, and our guest today is Paul Hilton who is an attorney based in San Diego slash Inland Empire, uh, so I guess southern eastern portion of California. 
And you can find more about him at paulhiltonlaw.com. And there's a picture of him uh, as well. Before, um, the, before the beard. <laughs> before the beard. Pre, that pre-COVID uh, uh, distinction. So uh, very glad that I was joining us. And he, he's uh, recommended through a, a good friend of mine who was, uh, I have a friend who went into, um, at 9-11, it's kind of interesting to talk about today, uh, was inspired, he, he had not been in the service, uh, was an ordained and became an ordained uh, rabbi and joined the chaplain corps as an officer, entered officer's school and came out an officer in the Navy and serviced Marines as a member of the chaplain corps um, uh, around the world. Just amazing story uh, who introduced me and Paul. So um, Paul, I know one of the things you and I talked about that I thought was interesting was a particular type of trust, the domestic asset protection trust, or I think you referred to it as Nevada trust. Can you touch on that a little bit? What's unique about that and what, what kind of person is interested in that type of protection? Well, that, that would be a, a person that's interested in somebody that's uh, like uh, athletes, um, entrepreneurs, uh, entertainers, uh, business, you know, I said entrepreneurs, but small business owners, somebody who is likely to, you know, that has no protection, no C-level, uh, you know, like CEO, CIO, no corporate sort of protection, liability protection. And those are people that if you had someone or you, somebody that owns several properties or something like that, if somebody slipped and fell, or was injured in one of your properties or due to that's uh, found that's due to your negligence. You may not have felt you were negligent, but but a jury could, uh, and it only takes the you know preponderance of evidence to, to get there. Then wherever you're sued, that then um, and nor, uh, we assume we're talking about California. I'm a California attorney. A California judgment against you would not, if you had your assets in trust in a Nevada or the of the, I think there's, well, forgive me, I'm thinking like around 15 states that have asset protection trust. But what they do, the, the Nevada law says if you put assets in the, those trusts, then um, courts of other jurisdictions cannot they just ignore it they will they will absolutely ignore it and so uh, a california court where if you had california property all the california court would, would come order the sheriff to take it to seize it uh if you have that uh, if you're found liable so that's that's one thing um now uh even better of course is a foreign asset protection trust and that would be something it's done in the Cook Islands. There's like six trustees uh, over in the Cook Islands, large companies, and that's what they do. And those are totally, there's, there's no federal court, there's no state court or anything that will go and take, take those assets away from you if they're in trust. Now, let's full and open disclosure. Those are irrevocable trusts. They're expensive to build. You've got to have a lot of assets to protect. It's got it to make it worthwhile and they're expensive to maintain. And because they're irrevocable, you, you essentially don't own that asset anymore. Now you, you are the beneficiary of it. The trustee uh, divvies it out for your benefit, but it's, 
the compliance factor of it becomes much more difficult. So it's it's kind of a unique uh, person that needs that sort of thing. They're usually they're wealthy and they're in a highly litigious type. A brain surgeon could, could potentially be some some um, you know uh, people you know, those types of professional doctors attorneys frankly can be uh, in, depending on that. So uh, it's just something to keep in mind. Got it. One of the questions we talked about before was that, and, and I'm guilty of this, I had a trust done years and years ago and <laughs> sitting in a box and uh, turns out I'm changing some some accounts. And I need to pull it out. And I realize, gosh, I haven't looked at that in how long? Uh, how often should somebody who has a trust created review it uh, with a appropriate attorney or at least review the major points? You know, who are my kids or where are they? My wife, my assets, like when should you evaluate those major decisions or how often should you have the whole thing reviewed well you should be one you should be aware of it <laughs> um you should know where it is and you should uh, be familiar with the contents of it and not just forget it um i would we usually say every three to five years you should you should review it there's a couple reasons why uh one names may change the, the your successor trustees that you uh really trusted and were uh, close to five years ago may have drifted off they may have moved you may not have that relationship anymore and you want somebody else or you wanted um a one uh you didn't have a child as you have a who was an adult that could be could step in as a successor trustee but now five years later you do and you and that uh child that you have is now an adult and and mature and and you could could take it over they're going to be cheaper than most people and they're uh, new so you look for those types of things keep keep that in mind uh, you don't you don't have to change your trust just because you change assets uh assets um assets are put into the trust and can be taken out all willy-nilly all all the time without having to change the trust what so for those you listening first off if you're watching on uh, the live stream on youtube or facebook or linkedin feel free to ask questions as well we'd love to have you also feel free to put your your information in the chat box we'd love to uh you know talk to you and answer your questions i'd love for you to put in your name number what state you're in what city you're in will you service business if you want more business your contact info feel free to do that uh, this is probably weekly we do this every Thursday 4 p.m. And if you're going to register and come live in the Zoom, it's probateweekly.com and go to the Eventbrite and sign up and register there and you get reminders. We can continue the conversation afterwards on our Facebook group, probateweekly.com. Love to have you join there, ask questions. Uh, there's an announcement for my swim team. I'd uh, love to have you uh, participate there. And then people post, I post my content there. You're welcome to post any probate related content. Uh, because if you're interested in getting some views, getting some additional information, uh, and asking questions and networking, we are building a national network. We have 3,000, oh, we just over 3,000 members in our Facebook group across the country, attorneys and uh, real estate agents, feel free to participate there. If you're on the Zoom call, the reason, well, let me back up. The reason why you might think, well, why do you have an estate planning attorney? This is Probate Weekly. As a real estate agent, one way to enter the discussion, I got asked this when we started, how do I build my real estate business and probate? One tactic is be familiar with these concepts, not enough to advise clients, but to advise clients you know somebody. Hopefully now you know Paul. 
And you can quote something he says or go on his website and take a piece from his blog and share that with your customers and advise them the importance of protecting assets, planning ahead, avoiding probate, avoiding the need for conservatorships and guardianships. That's why we're doing this today is to get you familiar with these concepts, not to do them, but so that you can get in discussions with your clients. As realtors, we all have buyers who bought property in the name of Joe and Mary Smith. Well, by definition, they're not using proper estate planning. I think almost without exception, if you buy property in California, you should have an estate plan and buy it in the name of a trust or some other entity. And so as we as we uh, talk to sellers, you look at the public records, you, you'll notice it's titled in the name of John and Mary Smith. You might ask the question, just curious, I know it's titled in your names. Have you, have you looked into getting an estate plan? Maybe they have one and never deed the property into the state, and you can tell them by seeing the public records that's not there. So that's why we're doing this as real estate agents or investors. We want to learn the opportunity to be of value to our customers because the more value we create for customers, the more money we make. So, um, Paul, I'm sure that you do estate plans and do a good job of them, but I'm sure you also get phone calls or, or inquiries from customers who have estate plans done by other attorneys where something didn't go right, maybe because it wasn't written properly, maybe because the law changed. But one of the things I see most commonly is the attorney creates a great plan, they put it in the box, the customer takes the box home, even has the name instructions. Don't forget to deed the property into the trust right there in the top of the box. Uh, and they never actually put the property in. How often is that a problem? And, and what's what's kind of some of the remedies available to customers in that case? Uh, that's often a problem. And what, what, one thing I do, and I think most probate or estate planning attorneys that um that, that i know they're worth a salt uh they will they will prepare the deed when they do the estate plan they will prepare the deed for the residence for the, the family home that the that the client has and and i do this and i make have the, the client sign it so it uh, transfers the, into the trust and then i make sure it gets it gets recorded so we get that one thing for sure, definitely into the, the trust. Now, if they have other uh, uh, properties, we'll, uh, we'll do those too, usually at, a, at a, an, another a fee for, uh, you know, it's not an exorbitant fee, but per, per, per deed to, and, and get those recorded unless the client says, no, no, I'll take care of those. But then they're gonna have to have somebody else to prepare the deeds anyway. So, um, yeah, but if you go out and and you you get your estate plan done and you buy and you the, your attorney transfers your one property in there, but you don't go and then you tell the attorney I'll I'll be responsible for for funding it, and then you don't go and you don't change your brokerage accounts to where they're uh, they're owned by the trust and large savings accounts and they're owned but so they're owned by the trust. And it's usually uh, Joe and Mary trustees of the Joe and Mary revocable trust or the Joe and Mary living trust dated something. That's usually the way they should be titled, even bank accounts and so forth. So if you don't do that though, then you, even though you have this great estate plan, you're gonna be, if you pass away, your family's gonna be in probate court asking a judge, please, we really intended it to be in the trust but they kind of messed up and didn't do that. And you've got to show that evidence and so forth. And then if you get into a family feud 
where somebody didn't get, didn't, you know, the, the trust didn't uh, distribute it to somebody who thought they deserved it or thought they were, should get it. Now they're, uh, they're going to be uh, challenging your probate petition for any sort of property that didn't get named in their trust, that that should be handled under the rules of intestacy. So that's not necessarily um, that the, the estate plan was done incorrectly. It was just that the funding was was not completed. Well, you you said this when we met the first time, and I and it stuck to me. That's a minimum standard of service. That if you don't at least fund the trust and and more importantly deed the property for the client, then to because I just see it so often that they never end up following through. And you create it's like you buy a safe deposit box, but you didn't put your property in the box. You you put your your valuables on top of the safe deposit box. They're gonna get stolen, and I see that all the time. And so it struck me that that kind of to me as a minimum standard that I'm gonna refer somebody to is that now the truth is, I can help them get the deed recorded. I I use services that would do that for me, and I could verify the recording and earn some brownie points for the customer. But I, why would I want the customer to take that risk just to make me look good? I really want them to get the better service and the attorney. So that's one of the reasons why I was, you know, impressed with you. And there's just a handful of attorneys that give that answer. Many of them will say they don't want to do it. To me, that's really a, a potential problem. We got a question from the chat box. Um, and I appreciate those of you who are putting your networking information. Welcome to uh, Jen Rice from Washington State and from uh, Cynthia from Music City, Nashville. Glad to have you here. And I see Felissa, uh, investor all over the United States. Uh, Felissa, thank you for joining in. Rob, uh, Bob asks, what's the impact of a California resident who passes, but his will was written in Arizona? So imagine imagine an Arizona attorney, he lives in Phoenix, for whatever reason, he moves to California, becomes a resident here, and passes away here. How, how if, now the will in California, me, let me back up. There's different laws in different states. So one thing is in some states, with the will, you avoid probate. In California, you're going to take your will and go to probate court. There's no way around it with a will, right? right? So what's the effect of somebody whose will's written in Arizona in California? The answer I know is going to be they're going to go to probate court. Is that will going to be valid? Is it going to meet? Does California have unique laws that will make it maybe valid in Arizona but not valid in California? No. No, that, that will will be lodged in uh, California probate court. Uh, the jurisdiction will have um, uh, oversight over that will be the where the where the person passed away um and yeah generally where their residence was when they passed away if, if they were in still a resident of arizona and they were just visiting california and they passed away had a car in a car accident or something like that it's good to still be jurisdictioned in, in arizona but let's say they moved to san diego and moved to la they brought their will with them they've been here for a couple of years they pass away the first thing you do um, is you you have to lodge that will. It's lodged in, in, in probate court. And what the, the probate judges, the, the, the courts are looking for any sort of instruction. What did you want? That they're looking for those instructions because otherwise they're gonna they're gonna default to California laws of uh, intestacy. So if they, even if it's a Arizona will, that's that's something. That's that's and it's very likely not gonna grossly uh, uh, violate some California law. They're gonna be pretty much the same. So it'll be valid um, and you know, uh, in, in, that, in that sense. 
was gonna so so yeah um i wouldn't worry about that so much but it still does have to be probate one of the common uh challenges that come up for real estate agents is uh a, there's a house where they know somebody passed and uh the property is deeded in a trust and there's a party who knows who they think the success trustee is maybe there's a, a sister living in the house and she believes her older brother is the successor trustee but the success but the the person who they thinks the trust isn't admitting to it they're not providing a copy of it i know there's certain requirements when the uh, trustee passes the successor trustee as far as notifying beneficiaries i think notifying what would normally be yours can you kind of give us some overview of what what should the process look like and then what happens when the successor trustee is not following those rules well yeah the the, the successor trustee yeah there's they're they're required there's a number of things that are required to do they're, they're required to, um it's it's very similar in checklist to what they have to go through in, in probate <clears throat> except it's not um it's not supervised by a judge. You don't have to pay the probate um, costs and so forth. So, but but you know, it's it's notify creditors. It's notify. You have to notify the beneficiaries that are named, um, and you also have to notify what, those that would be normal heirs at law. So, because they have an opportunity, they'll have to have an opportunity to potentially uh, challenge the trust if they didn't get anything. Um, and they they felt they they should have in the trust they can challenge it now that doesn't mean that they're going to win that doesn't mean they're going to they're not going to waste a lot of money going to court to challenge a trust because the trust said it goes to bob and mary and not sally and and jimmy um <clears throat> sally and jimmy are probably going to be out of luck and what and so um so uh, and then if you have a successor trustee who isn't doing the things that the that successor trustee is supposed to do, like notify the beneficiaries, provide copies of the trust to the people who are supposed to have it, and so forth, their basic fiduciary duties, and you detect that or suspect that, you can always challenge that. You can challenge you, that again. It's it's a lawsuit in probate court. It's a petition to have that uh, that trustee either removed have the judge give an order that they should do certain things um that that they weren't doing so so yeah there's there's in in the end uh if 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 things go awry and the successor trustee isn't doing what they're supposed to do yeah you got most of the time you have to end up back in back in probate court um a lot of trusts so are written in such a way that if the successor trustee is not performing then sometimes the majority of the beneficiaries can remove them. Just write write a letter, I'll get together, vote, say you're gone. If they don't step down, of course, you go back into the probate court and 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 the probate court said the trust says this. The majority of beneficiaries say uh, you're you're out, so therefore you're out. And, and different things like that. Is the successor trustee obligated to give a copy of the trust to say people who might normally be heirs like children who would, you know, by law normally be an heir, but maybe the trust wrote them out. Uh, is a trustee obligated to give them or a successor trustee obligated to give them a copy of the trust 
that says that so they realize that they've been written out or whatever yeah they, they there, there's a lot of yeah they have to be given notice of that after after the uh the trustee the grantors passed away uh the after the um or or when they are deemed to have incapacity where the trust becomes uh becomes the um the rule by which the the state is governed because then the, the they got to know that okay we're we, we can't sue according to the laws of intestacy there's something else that, that prevails you know i had a, a client once come to me and they felt the the sibling wasn't you know disclosing anything and just living in the property benefiting from the assets that they thought distributed and you know we came up with a solution which was we'll just if they're not going to give you a copy of the trust and they're acting like there's no trust then assume there's no trust file a probate and then they'll object saying oh here's the trust not even copy and it seems exactly. like that's maybe yeah. cheaper than litigation is probate maybe you get the file the filing fee maybe waived or whatever is that a solution is that uh you know again you don't want to fraud the court but if if they don't provide a copy you're entitled to assume it doesn't exist right yes yeah absolutely you know, if you don't know if you don't have a copy of it you haven't seen it uh, even though they may be saying it's, it exists yeah you can file file the petition ask to be your own executor under the rules of intestacy and yeah then their their recourse to to shut you down is oh no there's a trust here it is okay let's see the trust okay um, um, um any tips on uh when there is a property deed in the trust one of the one of the challenges for uh, and i get this neighbors will come to me and say hey we have this house it's in our neighborhood uh, we you know we know the person died how do we know well the tenant said that or the housekeeper said that it stopped coming or the gardener said that we don't really know but we think we know um we like to find out who who it is I go on public records, the property bills, property tax bills being sent to the house, that's no help. Any particular clues on how to find the who the successor trustee is when a property is deed in a trust? Um, you know, looking at the documents to see who the attorney is or the notary, any other tips you might offer on how to find that out? No, not really. If you don't have the trust, see, this is the thing that's really important. So when you build that trust and you get it signed off. And this is the advice you should be giving and i and i give written instructions to this to to my clients um this you, you need to have that document make make copies of it give copies of it to your successor trustees have it in a in a very conspicuous place so that when somebody walks into your office and you are you've had your last day in the office you know you've had the heart attack and falling over or whatever how sad that is and we hate talking about that but when that situation comes there that document should be oh there it is or you know um very clear say you can't keep it in a, a safe out in the garage well very clear breadcrumbs to that safe and how to get into that safe you don't want to be uh, publishing the combination of it because you're assuming you're keeping valuables in there but it needs to be clear that when you're when you're gone and you can't answer the questions it's got to be you got it's got to be findable because this problem that you're talking about happens all the time when people take their take their trust they take their documents they don't properly deed them they don't or or they take their trust and they and they hide it and they and they don't inform 
the people that they're going to need to help them, that they're going to need that help. And then, and, and then, so you've spent all this money to produce a trust, to get an estate plan, maybe even done some funding, but you're also, your family, your heirs, are, your beneficiaries are potentially back into probate court, trying to get, get court orders to get these documents and, uh, and, and, and view them. Now, some people go so far, and I don't do this, but some people go so far as to actually um, record their trust with the county recorder. The reason I don't do that is because until you pass away, that trust is, is private. You don't, may not want um, mean Uncle uh, Jimmy to know that you don't like him and you've disinherited him because he's going to be angry at you. <laughs> It's going to make every Christmas or every holiday you get together as a family uh, awkward right. because so you don't even want him to know that. And that's so you, that's why. But once it becomes you record it and it gets into the uh, county recorder, then people can bring it up and see those documents and review them. And, and I mean, Uncle Jimmy, if he's mean enough or or, or a niece so and so. This may be, you know, could be a problem. One of the, and again, reminder here, we're live streaming this, uh, this probably weekly. If you're watching this on the live stream on YouTube, Facebook, or LinkedIn, feel free to put your questions in. If you're watching on recording, put your questions in and either I'll respond or I'll circle around to Paul as well to respond to those. One of the unique things that I saw you um, uh, uh, do is pet trusts. And I've seen, um, I mean, when you go to probate court, I used to go to probate court in LA County every day. You see people fighting over pets and who's taking care of them, what that means. I had a, I had a client whose um, nefarious ex-girlfriend claimed they had a, a claim to be the caretaker for the pets as long as the last pet was alive. They had like five cats, three birds, two reptiles. And she created her own like pet trust where she had access to the house as long as the last pet was living. Um, but there are people who want to take care of their loved ones, including non-human loved ones. What are some unique considerations and opportunities for pet trusts? Absolutely. You can, uh, if you have a Fluffy or a Fido or whatever that you, and, and it's a kind of important to do this because if those animals are very likely going to outlive you. Um, it's a good, it's a good rule of thumb. Either one, you've either got to be very clear to somebody um, that you know that they are to, to take to take your your dogs or cats. That way, you know you don't have to put it in a trust. You don't have to do that, but you need to be really clear that somebody's and have somebody that will, will take responsibility for that. Maybe your successor trustee is your uh, son or daughter, an adult son or daughter is established, and they're just going to naturally, okay, uh, you know, your dogs and cats are just part of your personal property, and we're going to take care of them, and we're going to handle them. But on the other hand, you may want to actually specifically state provisions for those uh, those those pets, and then what you do is you we actually name the pet, and we and we we provide a specific kind of a distribution to be held in, in trust um, for the amount 
that that trustee would potentially would have to, you know, for food, for veterinary, all the expenses related to that, the life of that dog or cat or whatever it is for, and if it's a turtle, it can be, you know, it, it will outlive the successor trustee and the <laughs> successor successor trustee. You know, you may have to provide a lot of uh, provisions for that. And then, and then you name those people who, who is responsible to, to do that. You don't get a lot of, you know, if you get, if you have a, if you have this uh, very high valued um, racing horse, you're very likely to get some sort of challenge in probate. That's not really a pet, but that's a high valued item. So what we're looking at as a pet is a, is a valued item that you want to take care of in a specific way. You can name the, that through a trust. Well, it also depends. Some people are pet people and some aren't. I mean, if I, you know, uh, I don't think it if applies to me, but if somebody asked me to be their successor trustee, uh, they're single, let's say, and they had a dog. I, I mean, there are people in life who would love that, would take care of the dog. I'm just not a dog person. Now, my wife is, so we have a dog in the house, but I'm not looking for any extra. So yeah. you want me to help you out with paper? Great. You may help distribute your assets. Fine. I'll do the work, but don't ask me to, to walk you a couple times a day and, and deal with all that. So I think it's one of those things where if you have specific requirements and you want the comfort of knowing it's taken care of, you, you have the chance to plan ahead and take care of it. I think that's the key thing. Right. But we'd also know we would trust you, Bill, even though you may not be a, a dog person, we would trust you to, to recognize, okay, to take responsibility of the dog to find the proper a proper home for the animal and to, to and if you were the successor trustee you would have access to enough assets hopefully of the trust to provide to that uh, to that uh, and just proactively do that you could you could do that but if if you're if you're an estate owner and a fido owner and you want to make sure of who that is you want to make sure that there's money in there and that's and it's not left to bill who just doesn't like dogs <laughs> um, i mean i'm not abusive they, or anything i just i'm just not gonna spend the rest of my life taking care of somebody else's dog it's just absolutely not yeah yeah and i'm not set up to i'm living in los angeles if i lived i grew up in uh suburban orange county where we had you know huge orchards and such Great, run around, do your own business. Well, that's a big horse area too. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in the Harbor Heights where they had horses, and so yeah, sure, have a dog, have three dogs for all I care. I live in Los Angeles. I live in a house. We don't really have that, and the dogs gonna chase after the trash trucks and all the other delivery trucks. It's a different story. Okay, so again, if you have any questions, this is a chance. The purpose of this is not uh, how to handle probate. The purpose of this for real estate professionals is. Here's how to enter in the conversation with your customers be of value. It's my belief. Uh, Paul, you can agree or disagree. You're an attorney. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, anybody who owns a house in California should have an estate plan and hold title in the estate plan, typically a trust. Anybody. Anybody who's married with kids should have some provision. What happens? What? How do you want your kids raised? God forbid, if you're not available, which, which grandparents? My, my daughter's blessed in that her children have two sets of two grandparents, but which ones make the decision? What you don't want is to have them fighting over, well, I want the kid to go to this school, but they want to go to that school. Well, one of you is a guardian, one of you is not. You want to make sure you set up properly and have your plan so your plan is implemented. And so for us as real estate agents, we're constantly looking, how do I build my business? Uh, when we started this call today, 
there was an agent who's been in business six years. I think it was Cynthia. How do I get started to build my business? Well, one is learn these concepts for your area. I think Cynthia's in Tennessee. Learn estate planning, avoiding probate, key concepts in your market area. Share that with your customers. Be in the conversation. Find the attorneys like Paul that service your area. Create relationships with them so you create value for customers. That's what we're doing today. And this is really, it doesn't cost anything to meet an attorney, to talk to them typically at, at the right time and right place. And I'm hoping today's call is, I know I'm learning. I hope you're learning as well. And importantly, how to bring that um, information to your customers and such. So Paul, let's talk a little bit about the business of being an attorney, right? You, you're a practitioner. We've been talking about your legal expertise and how you do, you know, do things. But at its core, you have a business that you own called Paul Hilton, the attorney. Paul, the attorney is the main employee, but you have a business you have to run. So what are some of the, and I, and I think, you know, I've talked to you about this. I just want you to share what you're comfortable sharing and don't share what you're not comfortable, obviously. But what, what are the methods that you use to generate business? I know that, you know, uh, people know you, like you, and trust you, will send you cases. Uh, do you spend time doing business development? Is that part of your workday practice or weekly practice as far as business development? And if so, what are types of things that you do? Good question. Yeah, you go through a law school, and you just kind of a little bit about my background too, you, uh, and you can find this on the, my website. I, I was a I was a government employee. I, I was actually I spent twenty six years in the Marine Corps. I was a Marine Corps officer, and then I retired and I worked for the Department of the Navy doing um, uh, information technology for for the fleet. And um, and it was in that period that I went to law school and. I, and uh, so I never had to build business as a, you know, as a federal employee and as a military officer, business came to you, <laughs> you know, you got your funding, you, you did a good job, they refunded you if that if they wanted somebody else to do it, didn't. So, so yeah, so I, I went to law school to learn law with the dirty little secret of law schools, they don't teach you, yes, you have to get clients, that's the hardest thing. And it's probably you know, as real estate brokers as the things that you do too. I'm sure that's oh yeah. How do you do that? And uh, I so I had to learn that. Um, and it's it's uh, it I, the best clients that I have are those that are, are referrals from from the networking that I do. And I do a number of uh, networking things. I've, I've been in the North County San Diego. Chamber of Commerce. I've, I've uh, attended events with them. I do um, one of the structured networking groups that meets, you know, weekly, and they have to. We uh, don't have to. You're supposed to give certain referrals out and, and meet, meet other people. Um, I found that that's very helpful as far as just getting your name out there. Uh, what I don't find, what I didn't. I haven't put a lot of money into it because I think it's expensive and is typically not very helpful is, you know, just advertising, even Facebook advertising and things like that. That's my general uh, belief and experience. So um, I, I work on work on referrals. Um, met Bill, I worked in a network, uh, 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 veterans network. And so just, and it takes time. You know, I've been doing this for, uh, you know, for five years since um, since I graduated from law school and passed the bar, and it just takes time getting 
you know, getting your name out there. People don't know you. People are like, oh yeah, you know, Paul's an attorney. Oh, he can answer that question. You know, of course, then you, you know, you get a lot of people, the, the cousin, the neighbor, the friend, hey, let's ask Paul a question and we'll, maybe we'll get some legal advice for free. <laughs> so you gotta be careful of that. I, I don't know if that answers your question that helps or not. No, it does. I think I, th I think we as real estate agents imagine there's some magical magical process that business just comes to attorneys. And the reality is, at least ones that I've met, the most successful have a have a clear path, practice, process for generating business, as well as how they handle their business. And we as real estate agents, if we're looking to build relationships with them, should be aware of it and see where we can fit in, supplement, help those things and obviously meeting more people is one of those if you had a you know a son or nephew that was starting off or, or i guess or daughter or niece that was starting off in real estate and wanted to um, network with with attorneys for their business what would you recommend them to do would you recommend them to go to the chamber of commerce would you recommend them to go to attorneys um like bar associations as affiliates what would you recommend them to do to 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 meet with attorneys like you to develop those relationships all of it yeah yeah i, I would you, you really do have to do all i would go um to uh to, to the, the uh those events the chamber events those are really important that, that helps you get to know the the community and stuff like that um and then um you know i i i am a big believer in the the structured networking groups and there's there's uh, BNI, there's LATIP, there's Provisors, there's different ones that have different kind of, and they're a fee, but it's not a huge fee, yeah. But, and they are, if you, they are as successful for you as you put into it. Right. They're really a thing you have to actually try to help others, try to refer, look, you're looking for referrals for others and business to give to others. And then you that's the way you get known that's what that increases your credibility your visibility your credibility and then you know and then follow up and just continue to follow up and um learn different ways to do that now um a lot of you do these uh the newsletters and and those things those uh email uh networking sort of things those are all good but they're better when you actually made that warm introduction either at a chamber meeting um a, a follow-up phone call uh you know maybe met for lunch or something like that and and now you have a connection with this person and it's not oh no not another you know another email to delete or into spam so that's um and i'm still working it i'm still i i have ways i you know i can I want to grow more myself um, uh, here before I call this, before I hang this up, you know, when however many years from now, too. So I'm still working. Part of the reason I'm here today, because I got I met Bill and I want to build, continue to build that relationship and, and meet others with it. Thanks so much. So if somebody was interested, um, we have, you know, I'm sure we're, uh, real estate agents, investors in San Diego, in the Inland Empire, Orange County, nearby areas, areas you service. What would be the next step if they had a client who was interested in an estate plan or had a particular problem with a plan? Uh, what would be the best way to reach out to you? Well, uh, um, on my website uh, is my 
uh, email address. There's a contact information you can schedule through the little chat, the little Apex chat thing. There's actually somebody down there that will you can uh, do a chat with. Um, you can call me, call me at 858-240-6730. Uh, you will not get me. I do have an assistant now who will uh, um, happily answer your question. Take a, take a message. I will get back to you. And you can send me an email. Absolutely. That's, uh, and I'd love to hear from you that way. So the Apex chat is great. I always answer those. Those come up on my text. So that when those happen through my, uh, through my uh, legal assistant, uh, through a phone call, or send me an email. Fantastic. Well, look, Paul, I really appreciate uh, taking time today to give us you know, a wide tour of military families, estate planning in general, trust administration, and uh, pet trust. So I really appreciate the breadth and the opportunity to share today and the education brought to everybody. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for being here. I did want to say at the end, you know, if you, when you do have these situations come up, do contact an attorney. Don't go back and say, oh, well, I had a, heard a podcast where Paul said this. You're, because every every situation is more detailed and more specific. You yeah. really do need that that uh, that advice um, and kind of thoughtful guidance from an attorney for that particular uh, situation. And I'm happy to I'm happy to if you reach out to me, anybody here on this phone call, just let me know you were on this uh, podcast, and I'm happy to try to answer your questions directly. Fantastic, and we'll put your contact info in the description below. Or if you see this and can't find it for some reason, reach out to me uh, as well. Paul, again, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it so much. And we'll look forward to talking again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Bill. And, and for the rest of you, again, this is Probate Weekly. We do this every Thursday at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it. You can sign up to come on the Zoom call at probateweekly.com. Uh, you can go to the YouTube channel, if you go to, to um, episodes probateweekly.com. You'll see the past episodes as well as the most recent episode if you're interested in that. And then one other thing I just want to highlight is I have an up, upcoming real estate focused email mastermind class because I find the question we started this, this call with Cynthia asked me, I don't know if you're still on, Cynthia, you want to continue that conversation. How do I build my business? One of the keys I, I find having coached so many people on my team now, I have 43 agents on my, on my downline and my team, um, is that they don't have the the foundation on which to build their business, which is really your database and communicating with your customers, starting with your email. And so I decided to put together a, a kind of a low cost, it's $97, um, uh, one time uh, call for an hour is a Zoom call, we're gonna record that. And then four half hour follow-ups as a private Facebook group on how to, and the goal is to increase your contacts by 16 times, to double your contacts, to double the frequency of your contacts, to double the channels you're on and double the effectiveness of your email. And if you do that two times, two times, two times, two is 16 times more people you've been in contact with. I'll show you how I did that, how I get those results, and, and I'll share that with you. So if you're interested, that's in the chat box as well, or text or email me if you're interested. I'd love to have you join us for that. Again, I'm Bill Gross, um, at Bill Gross Probate on social media. Continue the conversation at probateweekly.com. Thank you, everybody, and have a great week.